Happy holiday seasons, greetings, and what is up? This is Press X Start, season five, episode 47. Press X Start podcast is the audio and video podcast seeking to transform the media, I'm sorry, the video game media landscape through an underserved and protected point of view. Restorative justice for the underrepresented programmers, developers, and consumers. I am your host, DJ, aka Sexy Bad Choices, aka Do You know who deborah wilson is i think some people on the cast should know yes uh but if you yes right but, she, but the question um, is do you know deborah wilson before she started showing up in video games <laughs> yes actually oh, okay yeah, no but apparently i did so here's the thing yeah, she's on mad tv yeah mm-hmm. well she's also um famous because she got caught in one of the best press sex to start uh memes happening now if you haven't checked it out if you watch the video game awards while she was doing her uh amanda what amanda walker amanda waller impersonation waller and the the continual body shaming of amanda waller continues that woman used to be a beautiful (laughs) plus size woman and then the tw made her skinny and then everyone's followed suit it's 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 (laughs) encouraging It's terrible. (laughs) Yes, uh, if you happen to watch the Game Awards, you might have heard a voice in the crowd uh, saying "Yes, ma'am" to her as she was uh, talking her thing. Uh, That person, guys, was Marcus. My man, our man, Marcus, is actually, um, you know, forever. What is it? Forever uh, immortalized. Immortalized. Yes, in the in the. Whatever. Anyways, that's cool. But she also did other things. I literally cherry picked some things because I looked at her rap sheet and it is like so long. So, uh, as you know, she is going to be in Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League as Amanda Waller. Hell yeah. Uh, she was also in Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. Yeah. She's also in Marvel's Avengers. Didn't know that as Okoye. Uh, she was in Bug Snacks as Shelda Smellywag, that, that's a name, and Cobb Hopper, <laughs> that's also a name. You forgot, she was also in uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Is that on your list? Oh, no, I was about to get to that. Uh, okay. I was about to get to I, that. I, I like to ignore yeah. her appearance in Jedi Fallen Order. Why? Well, I liked her. Series was great. That was the worst character models I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, yeah, she, she did have a buggy eyes. Yo. She did have buggy eyes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was a thing. But this one surprised me. She was also Kit. And Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I had no okay. idea. Yeah. I had no idea. I was like, wait, what? So yeah, uh, props to her as she is continuously doing that thing. Uh, but that is me and that is Deborah Wilson. How about you guys? I am Sean of MF Ross. Ooh, what the MF stand for? Why don't Santa come to the ghetto? <laughs> you got a point. <laughs> also. You got a point. I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. <laughs> but that's probably just the way it is <laughs> that's the way it is oh we don't got running water up here what is this <laughs> <laughs> who else is here uh jordan aka jx spot aka spartan Ooh. 187 on undercover oh okay okay he must be from Baltimore. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> NWA team. Hell yeah. <laughs> Speaking awesome. of which, I just saw Jeff Hardy with somebody 
and Jesus the Christ. Wrestler? Yeah, like I guess he's in AEW, but somebody on another Discord server that I'm on like posted a picture with him like side by side. I'm like, God damn, that's Jeff Hardy. But I remember when they first came into the WWE like in the late nineties. Yeah. And it's just like Matt and Jeff Hardy. Oh yeah. My man my man looks old, yo. I, I would imagine. I would Jesus imagine. Christ. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> Last up. Hey you there in a the hoodie. Oh yeah. The man. Uh, it's Avery. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Um, that is who we are. This podcast, what we're going to talk about is uh, we're going to talk some more about Halo, of course, because Halo is, uh, is a thing that's happening. Apparently, people are playing it. We have a Spartan on the cast. We're going to be talking about this uh, Splinter Cell game. Splinter Cell, right? Yeah. Is that right? Splinter yeah. Cell? It is Splinter Cell. I don't, I don't know. And then uh, a Sam Fisher guy? Per- I don't know. I don't know. There, there's things that we're going to talk about, and I, I need some clarification on this uh, Splinter Cell thing, because yeah. as far as I know, Cell's on Splinter. Um, and then... They what divide. are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making stuff up. I'm riffing. Cell's I'm- divide, my guy. We did the thin end of Splinter. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to have a uh, conversation about Forspoken's character, Faye, and why it's all kinds of messed up. Oh, we sure will. <laughs> Get your quesadillas ready. I know what that means. And why you should be on the right side of history. <laughs> Before we get to that, let us jump into what we have been playing. Let's go. All right. Uh, you guys have been doing some Haloing. Maybe I'll let you go first. I got a lot to say. You should go first because I've already talked a bit about Halo. All right. So in the past on the podcast throughout the year, I was talking about how I was going through the gauntlet again to make sure I have a clear point of reference of where this next Halo game would land in my sequence, in my hierarchy of Halo titles. Uh, this includes Halo Reach, Halo 1, Halo 2, 3, 4, 5, Halo, Halo 3 ODST. I played all of them back to back to back in chronological order. So this is, in summary, a game I put near Halo 3 and Halo 2. Okay. In terms of them embodying what made Halo great, it took them two games to fucking do it, <laughs> which is depressing. It took them two games. It took them many years. And when I kept on saying Joseph Staten, Joseph Staten, Joseph Staten, he is one of the original, like, you know, like the pantheon of the Halo 3 as a series in terms of creation. Um, while going from game to game, uh, like starting with Reach, I was able to see how the series has developed in terms of what was added, what was removed, how the multiplayer is differentiated. In my opinion, Halo 5 had a fairly strong multiplayer, which Halo 3 did get right. But one thing people, at least in terms of Halo fans, were fairly interested in in this new age of first-person shooter is a solid campaign. I don't know how they did it, especially how Halo 5 ended, but they brought it back. Okay. You know, they, they got back to the allure of Halo. Because in Halo 4 and in Halo 5, not once did you step on a ring. Halo 3, you didn't you step on a ring. Halo 3, you were back on the uh, the Ark, essentially, which is a place where like the Halos were created, essentially. Oh, okay. And if I were to describe Halo's campaign, it's basically the second level of Halo Combat Evolved being the silent cartographer. And... That was the level that brought Halo to a new, like, conversation in terms of what a first-person shooter is. 
essentially. Like the, the quote unquote freedom you had in that level is basically Halo Infinite quintupled. Mm. Um, in terms of gameplay, guns feel great. You know, like like they 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 feel responsive. Um, What's your favorite gun? Uh, the pistol. The pistol is my favorite gun. It really, it's, favorite, it's really good. The pistol, like this pistol, yeah. is a weird mix between the original Halo pistol, mm-hmm. which is like one of the most dangerous weapons in first person shooter mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. Um, and also a mix between that and Halo 2's pistol. Like Halo Two was okay. when, for some reason. Uh, Bungie wanted to go the quote-unquote practical route when it comes to guns. It's when they first introduced the battle rifle, essentially, which is yeah. back. The DMR has been taken away, which was introduced in Halo 4, has been replaced by a full auto um, rifle they have going here called, I've got like the Claymore or something like that. Um, they replaced a shotgun with an automatic shotgun, essentially. Well, a shotgun that, that feels automatic in terms of how quickly you can shoot off rounds with it. It's the judge from Valorant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I haven't played Valorant. Is, is it, is it, <laughs> right. That's my point of reference. Mm. Uh. But um, in terms of the narrative, it I mean, it, it's slowly unraveling. Um, like, we are dealing with a fairly weathered chief. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way Marcus Phoenix was in Gears 4. Like, what do you want from me? I'm, I'm fucking tired. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> what's going on here? But he's not... Like, like, well, there, there are moments to which you do feel sympathetic towards Master Chief, who oh, wow. continues to see so many people around him die, but he continues to just carry on this burden of protecting humanity. And there was a um, exchange between him and the pilot, who's kind of okay. I, I, I like the weapon as a character starting to, you know, um, like grow on me essentially. Um, but there really? is, and for context, the weapon is not Cortana. Well, I didn't know that right. yet. No. Is, well, that, I mean, is that a fish? <laughs> no, because I'm as early as you in the game. Okay. Her character looks and sounds exactly like Cortana, so you would be confused to think, oh, it's Cortana's back. No, that's why I'm saying it's yeah. not Cortana. Yeah. She, she, she is, quote-unquote, a dumb AI, which is only made for a specific purpose, while Cortana was an advanced AI, which is probably, who was probably made by Forerunner Tech and all this shit. And the weapon is modeled as a woman, right? No. Cortana was specifically made by Halsey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She she was made by Halsey using Forerunner technology that they found under Sword ba- Sword Base in Halo Reach. Yeah, that is true. So like, she's very quote unquote impressionable, or she's still trying to figure out why things are happening, seeing she only has like one purpose in life. So there was an exchange between Master Chief to Pilot. Wait, wait, wait. Are you are you are you telling me that that Master Chief is man explaining the world too? No, no. Master Chief is like okay. he is he is an individual of very few words. <laughs> And the <laughs> figure the, it out the weapon. The 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 pilot was like, "Yo, I got a fucking family. We get the fuck out of here." He's like, "Like, why do you keep on doing this? Like, why do you keep on fighting, Master Chief?" He's like, "Hey, man, it's all I know." Like, but it's the way he said it. It's, it's it's the way he said it, which was like, "Why are you asking me this? This is what I was made for. I know right. nothing else." Because he was like Spartan too and all that. I have no transferable skills, my guy. Exactly. But um, I'd say I'm about two thirds in. Um, you know, I'm I'm collecting as much as I can. You know, getting all the Spartan cores and stuff like that. And in terms of the suit upgrades, I am enjoying the grapple hook. Um, you know, in terms of how to use it in certain situations, like you will get fucked up in this game if you think that you're going to survive an encounter with like six people, like like if you're playing on heroic, like you have to 
plan each encounter essentially like like, like that that's one thing halo was also good at was having a hierarchy in terms of enemies like you do have the drones yeah. you do have the elite enemies you do have the juggernaut enemies you can't harm me are you a fucking ass do you not know who i am he must not know who i am i'm the juggernaut bitch i'm gonna hit you with your own pimp it's like the fucking um hunters and shit and you you what, you have what difficulty are you playing on i'm currently playing on normal I'm gonna play on. I'm gonna play on heroic after normal. But even on normal, it can give you some work because yeah, you know, like you have to do an effective job at prioritizing which enemies are gonna cause you the most trouble. Even grumps can fuck you up if they get a sick grenade on you or they suicide themselves on you. Like your health can go down fairly quickly. And yeah, the suit technology feels good, but the thrusters and the um, the uh, grapple hook and the sensor array is good. Because there are, like, you will run into cloaked enemies. Like, there were instances to which I found a location that seemed fairly deserted, but it was filled with nothing mm-hmm. but elites of energy swords that were cloaked. So I had to, like, put the sensor thing down because they, 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 they oh, were they were mad quiet. I'm like, I, I, I started hearing footsteps. I'm like, oh, these motherfuckers are cloaked. So, yeah, the sensor, the sensor grenade works. And, um, yeah, that's my take on the campaign. This is possibly the best Halo since Halo 3. Awesome. And the multiplayer, I'm working through the multiplayer right now. They added Team SWAT, which is my Ooh, favorite SWAT. mode. And that is also very fun. Oh, so man. the multiplayer and single player are aces right now. And yeah, it's got a good amount of awards for the right reasons. Yeah. I think uh, IGN, no, IGN made Forza's game of the year or Halo? Yeah. Forza? It, they made Forza. Yeah. Okay, it's Forza. Okay. They no made worries. Forza's game of the year, but Game Informer made Halo's yeah, game that's of the what year. It was. Okay. And Halo was the VGA's player's choice of the year. Yes. All those things. All right, Avery? Uh, yeah, I'm working my way through Halo's campaign. Uh, most, like, my feelings from the last time I talked about it haven't really changed. All my sort of issues with the game, mostly on, of my own design, still remain. Uh, that being said, a minor update. I, I'm enjoying the grappling hook more, mm-hmm. but it's not the traversal piece of equipment that I want it to be. But I found a mechanical situations in which to use it more. Once again, when this game decides to be Halo, it's like one of the best first-person shooter campaigns I've ever played. When I'm traversing through its open world, I'm bored, and mm. I have no interest in doing anything. I just want to get to the campaign. And then when I get to the campaign sections, I'm like, well, yeah, this feels like Halo. I'm really enjoying this. I, I just wish that there was nothing between these big sections of meaty, uh, linear, like, uh... uh Focus gameplay sections. I wish there was nothing in between them, mm-hmm. but there is, and I just have to deal with it. Uh, I've, I've unlocked more and more of the Spartan equipment. I have gotten kind of annoyed by the fact that rather than mechanically map all of these abilities to your character so you can use them in conjunction, it's now a uh, you have to pick and choose a piece of equipment to use at the given time, which oh. is on the D pad, which I find incredibly cumbersome, especially when some of them are movement based. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Because essentially, I like Jordan's talking about uh, fighting elites. The first time you fight a cloaked elite, they give you the uh, Spartan core for the uh, threat detector, which is the advanced HUD that allows you to see cloaked enemies. And before that, I've been just playing with the grappling hook and spending ages to get used to the grappling hook. Mm -hmm. And then combining the two is not easy. And then as you keep getting more and more stuff, it's like, oh, this is weird. I think, I think. How do I say this? I don't know how they would have done it. Because I think this is a victim of them trying to make the single player and multiplayer uniform. Mm. In that, because in the multiplayer, 
all these armor abilities you can do in the campaign are pickups, are pickups and they're like they're special equipment like uh here's a button you press the trigger it yeah but in the game you kind of want the uh the freedom to use them all on the fly easily yeah mm-hmm. that balancing issue seems very similar to what destiny had to deal with between its single player and yeah. multiplayer well the, uh, not in an exact way, but just the fact that like you have these strong weapons in single player, but they have to nerf it a bit for the multiplayer and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's uh I, I still have my narrative hangups in that I think this is the best told Halo story, but as I'm so far in the game, I'm I think this game trying to ape the feel of Halo One mm-hmm. has made the narrative kind of un, like how do I say this? It doesn't have the surprise of Halo One's campaign, so trying or Halo to, or Halo Two's campaign too. Halo Two campaign has some has some pretty big reveals. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, it's one of those things where like I'm enjoying the game. I like Halo Infinite. I'm not loving it, and I'm hoping that as I get further into the campaign and they start doing more with Master Chief, I think it's one of my bigger issues with its narrative. In that, for all of five issues, it, character wasn't. It was actually the first Halo where the character of John 117 had, like, agency in the things he did, because instead of just being, I'm always looking for the next fight, I'm following the mission parameters and stuff, and so I'm really interested in hopefully that this game picks up some of those character threads going forward with this one, because so far early on, I'm still in the, I gotta go to the next mission, I gotta complete the next objective, the weapon is the quote-unquote character really in this like narrative interaction i'm hoping there's more to that going forward gotcha mm-hmm. yeah i'm i'm enjoying halo i'm not in love with it i think that's why i haven't beaten it by now gotcha gotcha okay well moving on to what i've been playing go for it um first we were gonna make this a quick hit but fuck it we're gonna incorporate it into my thing apparently returnal is among the least finished games of 2021 um a list compiled by the website how long to beat Returnal was among the top 10 most retired games of 2021. Retired meaning people who dropped the game before finishing it. Returnal was at number 6. The top 3 consisted of 12 minutes, <laughs> Loop Hero, and The Ascent. The Ascent's on there. I, randomly one night, I didn't feel like playing um Apex Legends, because I mean, it's a trio game and it sucks to like solo queue sometimes. I just booted up Returnal for whatever reason. And I never thought I was going to go platinum this game just because of the nature of how uh, roguelike games are. It's just pretty much random when you're going to get certain things. And I got one of the scout logs that I had been spending like hours and days upon. Yeah, it just popped up off the random. So I'm like, well, this was the hardest thing I needed. (laughs) Might as well try for the platinum. (laughs) And it uh, probably took me another two, three days, maybe four, to get, like, the rest of the stuff I needed. So, yeah, I platinum uh, Returnal, and I deleted it off my console, because <laughs> I, feel, I feel whole now. Thank you for your service. Get the fuck off my console. <laughs> yeah, not that I hated it. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, like, they added... I, I think a lot of people did not finish it because of the lack of a save mechanic. They were just like, mm, fuck it, just put your... Console and suspend I, mode. Uh, I don't think... I think a lot of people didn't finish it because of the rogue aspect of it. The rogue aspect, and I, I see a lot of people complaining that it's just too hard, but it's a game that if you keep on playing, you get more powerful, you want a lot more things for your guns, but it, it was threefold. Uh, it's a roguelike, it was hard, and then a lack of a save mechanic. 
Although apparently now you can save scum your way through the game because you can um suspend a cycle and then upload your save to the cloud and you know if you mess up just the download Bloodborne it. save scum. Mm. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that in Bloodborne. May uh No, that's literally how I beat the game. I got all three of its endings when I beat it. Because I I got may I go, got uh, to play Bloodborne. <laughs> I got to the end of the game right before the game makes your choice. I saved, uploaded yeah. my save, did the boss, downloaded my save, did it all over again. It was Pog. So I'm not playing this shit three times. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I platinum that. And now I'm working on Spelunky 2, which is another roguelike game. Um, I think the last time I was on the cast talking about it, I think I did the 10-minute challenge and the millionaire challenge and the yeah, no money challenge. Yeah. I do remember the millionaire challenge. <sighs> um, what's left is to get to space, which I finally did last night, actually. How are you getting the space in this game? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, okay, so it's weird. What's the mechanic to get the space? Like, is there- technically, you're already in space because this is set on the moon. But you're, I don't know. They have this. Wait, right? wait, wait! Splunky set on the moon. The second one. But then they have different biomes because they have like a lava level, but they also have a jungle level on the moon. moon. Wait, hold up. And Jordan, did you know that Spelunky 2 was set in the moon? I was going to ask that question, but I'm like, you know what? I don't really care much. That's fine. <laughs> okay, but the penultimate, like, biome, or, you know, the last biome that you get in there is called Cosmic Space or Cosmic Ocean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of shit to do to get there. It takes me about 45 minutes. I'm sure people could skip it, you know, get to it in about 20, 30 minutes. But if you mess up at all... You start all over again. <laughs> Yikes. Mind you, it's based on whether or not you get good enough items to even get there to begin with. Right. So I finally did that. And the last thing I have to do now, which is a, uh, a Easter egg from the first game, they call it an eggplant run. You, you buy this gift from the shop and they have sacrifice altars. If you sacrifice the gift on the altar, it turns into an eggplant. You have to carry this eggplant from wherever you get it all the way to Cos- right before Cosmic Ocean. What do you do with the eggplant once you get there? Turn that some bitch sideways and stick it straight up. You're getting it. Um, you take it into some secret altar and then you get into eggplant world. Eggplant world. But if you drop it or you get hit in any way, it's very fragile. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm I'm in my, in my head. I'm, I'm trying to race to a uh, you know, the 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 eggplant. Uh, you know. How does joke. any of this even work? <laughs> And I got nothing right now. DJ, you're gross. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm working on Spelunky too. Hopefully I can um, platinum it and retire that shit too. Because uh, it's a little bit nerve wracking. Wait for the third one. <laughs> Whenever that comes out. <laughs> I doubt it. Um, I think it took him like a good eight, nine years to come out with this. Yo, wow. That's a long time. I'll look it up and get back to it. But um, yeah. Among Us came out as well for the... Uh, PS4 and Xbox. And um, oh, not PS5? Is the PS5 going to be the VR? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, not, not the VR one. Gotcha. But, okay, so initially when the prices were announced, they never announced that they were going to do a digital version only for $5. So I bought it, oh. but I saw it, and I think a lot of other people thought that um, they were only going to have those well, 40 60 and like $100 collector's edition boxes. Yeah. So nobody, you know, everybody's like, to hell with that. I'm not getting that. But then I saw it was available and it was only $5. Granted. It's also on Game Pass. It's also on Game Pass <laughs> for however long they keep it on there. 
The issue is actually, I think it might be easier for um. <laughs> Based on the, this game's revenue model, it's probably going to be on Game Pass forever. Mm. Mm. Um, Jordan, do you have that chat pad? Is that still a thing? You know, the little uh, keyboard thing that you attached to it. Uh, yeah, I've I've seen it run around. Like they, they had it on the Xbox One controllers, and those are usually compatible with the Xbox Series X controllers. That's it. I never got it though. I kept on getting voted out because they kept on saying I was sus because I was replying too slow because. If you're not in a PlayStation only uh, oh, game, yeah. you know, play show, other PlayStation people, oh, you have to type out your responses. Wait, Sean the, is sus. The, I kept on getting voted out. There isn't an in-game chat. No, really. They like no. look at this man trying to come up with an excuse. He has to be the killer. The, Vote like, him out. <laughs> if, if the if the PC version of this game didn't have an in-game chat, like an actual VC, I doubt that the uh, console version would. As well. I oh. think they just assume that everybody's going to use Discord, but that doesn't work when you're just jumping in random lobbies. Yeah. So, I mean, I could connect a keyboard or some shit, you know, a Bluetooth keyboard. No, but, you should, uh, you should have done like the, uh, the golden rule of not me. Like, I mean, it's like the last three people. Just not me, not <laughs> me, not me. Not me. me. I, I called my character not me. Made it, made it quicker. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, no, nah, I mean, it's, it's fun, though. I played a couple games. I can't wait for all of us to play. Oh, we got to get up on that. Um, Oh, by the way, Spelunky, the first one came out in 08. Spelunky 2 came out in 2020. I have no hopes of seeing uh, part three. <laughs> You'll be dead. You'll be a dead man. Sean will play it in your uh, absence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, she watches me play the game. She understands the mechanics. <laughs> um, But yeah, played Among Us, whatever. And then I tried that ass version of Godfall that they gave us to the PlayStation Plus, <laughs> the, the Challenger version. <laughs> it's That's like, sad. okay, what's the point of this game if there's no progression, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, even if there was progression, this game is, it's just really, really pretty. That's, that's about it. Um, I don't feel any weight to the game <laughs> or momentum. It's like, yep. it's a hallway Legit, just a hallway hack and slash, and it, it doesn't feel fun. And maybe it's because, uh, granted, you can still die. You're at max level, but, I mean, they scale everything accordingly. But it's, it's I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, I, they I, offered. It's, it's good. Now, I was just going to say it's free. Try it. Maybe you may like it, but I, this ain't it. Yeah, like I was going to say, they offer different weapons and stuff, so you can kind of mix and match combos, but it doesn't feel as smooth as you would want it to feel especially in the game where you are just primarily hacking and slashing like there's weird pauses and it's a very um unique combat like mechanics but it's unique in a way that like in order to really enjoy it you have to dedicate yourself and dedicate some time in like learning how this particular game works and there's not really any um there's not really what's the point yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it, it kind of is like, what's the point now when there's other games that you could definitely be playing? And it, there, you can't really pull in any other, like, learned experiences from other games into this game and like, kind of use that to better learn this game. It's just you have to sit and learn how this game in particular. Did you try it? Yeah, I did. I played through that first mission where you fight that boss or whatever, and I got up to the hub area where you have all the different... Um, I ain't even get that far, player. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this just ain't it. Just, nah. Yeah, yeah. I have it on my system just maybe if somebody wants to play, but otherwise I have no... Yeah. I, I may as well want to go play a point-and-click adventure Yeah. other than fucking Godfall. The last thing I wanted to do for that game was to just like watch a YouTube video of like 
I guess, pro level playing and see like, what is the, what's the possibility or what's the potential of this game in terms of for a person who is really good at playing this game and doing the combos and stuff and seeing like what that looks like mm-hmm. and seeing if that's just interesting at all. But yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Well, that has been the things we have been playing before we jump into our next section, which we get into the gaming news. We have a word from our sponsors. It's us. No, Santa Claus is workshop. Oh, 24-7 quality. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the sponsor is myself because I, I killed Santa Claus. That's right. I did it. Yeah. It's a curse. It's like a Highlander yeah. situation. Turns out all of his little elves and stuff. Nah, they were black children, guys. <laughs> I liberated all of them. <laughs> I'm going to nip this in the bud right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should thank me. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> What's good, y'all? Have you been enjoying this episode so far? Would you like to make sure that you keep getting the best laughs, latest news, and most fire takes? Then we're going to need your help. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show. And if you have, then tell three people about the podcast. Could be strangers, friends, loved ones, hated ones, your Uncle Jim, I don't know. Every little bit helps. And after you've done that, please follow us on Facebook at Press X number two start, Instagram at Press X number two start. Twitter at Press X number two S and YouTube at Press X to start TV. And if you've already done all this, well done. Platinum trophy achieved. And now it is time for the quick hits. All right. Number one, this comes from Kotaku. Jeremy Wilt. No, Winslow. There we go. Uh, original Splinter Cell being remade by Far Cry devs. Uh, Jordan, explain to me the Splinter and Cells. Uh, Ubisoft can go fuck themselves all the way. <laughs> because I don't know how this is going to pan out. Sam, Sam Fisher is an old man. He is a, he is, he's been integrated into the Siege franchise. And they killed my boy. They, they murdered my boy. So I don't know. I want them to remake this. I want them to be a new character. Mm-hmm. And move from there. I don't. I don't need to see Sam Fisher. Or they do like a pre remake thing to which is like Cold War or some shit. But I don't know. Avery, they've pretty much said this is a reboot. They're starting off at this is a reboot okay. remake of Splinter Cell One. And w- will it have Sam Fisher in it? Because yes, I will throw my yes. It will have Sam Fisher in it. Well, to the audience, when this is over, I'm throwing my uh, computer monitor into my TV monitor. <laughs> Cause that is bullshit. Wait a minute, <laughs> that's a lot of money. Just Fuck like it. your couch or something. Fuck it. You can't. You can't expect me to ignore what the last decade's been in regards to Sam Fisher. I used to love Sam Fisher. Fuck this. <laughs> well, that's number one. Number two. This comes from Business Wire. Uh, Tencent acquires Turtle Rock Studios. Uh, Turtle Rock will become part of Tencent while retaining its independent operations out in Lake Forest, California. Boo. And its existing team will continue to run all studio operations led by co-founder Phil Robb and Chris Ashton. Uh, the acquisition will have no effect on Back for Blood, as it was published by Warner Brothers Games. No effect space now, in quotes. <laughs> no effect now. Come on now. You know Tencent's record. Fuck that. So I actually... um. 
uh, you know, listening to the podcast and stuff that I listen to, someone made a very interesting statement about this in terms of like ten cents possible future approach and like this kind of being a, a signal to what they're doing. Um, as we know, Tencent owns like a lot of um, you know game studios and such, and they own a lot of studios in China. But China has been really hard pressed about you know video games and game development, so it's been really kind of hard for Tencent to grow. Uh, in China. So what they have to do now is kind of move outside of that and start picking up more Western game studios. And it seems like this is kind of their play at that kind of strategy. So it's possible that we're going to see more of these acquisitions in the future as Tencent tries to, I don't know, rule the world. Like what the hell? <laughs> like At this point, like you've bought enough studios. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what their grand plan is and when they flip that switch and all of our uh, Tencent PlayStation 6s become Here's the thing. <laughs> super bots or something. As long as Tencent doesn't take a major stake in a publisher, they can buy all the studios that they want. In the short, it provides a lot of money and stability for independent studios. Like, this is, this is a Turtle Rock who used to work for Valve and then Valve decided we're not going to make games anymore and it's had to figure <laughs> out a, games. a path going forward. So, like, this, this is a good deal for them in the now. In the long run, uh, to Jordan's point, no idea what Tencent's going to do. They have a track record of doing stuff that's probably not for the best interest of the devs, but mm. anything is possible. Like, all I'm saying is that until they decide to buy stake in one of the big three game platform holders, everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. Until Tencent buys Nintendo. <laughs> you, you're crazy for thinking that would ever happen. That'll never happen, my guy. Hey, hey, hey. Hopefully it won't. All right, num- They'll go back to their Nankang days. <laughs> All right, number three. This comes from Kotaku's Brian Ashcraft. Uh, Walker is so popular that Square Enix spends Final Fantasy fourteen sales. So That's crazy, bro. Y- yeah, this is... Has that ever happened? Has something like that ever happened before? I don't... Not to my recollection. I'm like, what is this like, game doing that's different? Come on now. Seriously. What it's is just really good. Like, it, no, it's, it, it's, it's taking the framework of a Final Fantasy and telling it in an MMORPG. That's what it's doing. Yeah. Okay. And it's, being, yeah. It's, it's, it's very successful at that, too. Final Fantasy Eleven story was uh, pretty good. Convoluted, but pretty good. Yeah. Um, I can imagine the improvements they did with fourteen as far as... um cinematics and just overall ease of access the insane thing about this 14 uh like a boom is that this is a game they had to remake they released it it didn't do well and then they full-on remade the game re-released it and now we're here and it's shitting on every other mmo out there yeah yeah and on top of the game being great it's dropping at the perfect time where people like in the mmo space they're leaving um world of warcraft and What's the other? There's the other MMO that's not hot right now. New World. I mean, New World. New World. New World's fine. It's, there's pretty much no other MMOs other than yeah. Warcraft. A lot of people fell off of New World though. They grinded it out. And probably just min-maxed and just like, ugh. Yeah. You know. But yeah, like it's just hitting at the perfect time where it's drawing a bunch of people. Like there was the free demo that was out for months. I think it, it was still it was still out because they they had to stop the I demo think you too. Still have it, yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure they like, they've they've released a portion of the game which is the original 14 uh campaign mm-hmm. and then plus the first dlc expansion for it to get yeah, people in. like you can you can play that game for free up until like level 60 
So like you can fully like integrate yourself into that game to be like, okay, I've spent enough time with this. Let me just buy the thing full out. So they're just making such great plays and they are so good with their community. That's just, it's everyone wanted to see this win and it's definitely winning to the point where Square Enix is like, hey, look, we can't, we can't do this. So essentially they couldn't expand their servers fast enough. Yeah. So because of um, supply constraints, like they just couldn't, they just couldn't do it. So they had to stop everything essentially don't let your dreams become memes everyone <laughs> do the final fantasy refer <laughs> all right number four this comes from Eurogamers tom phillips peter molyneux nft game legacy has already sold 50 million dollars of land so i need to take a break because like this blew my mind when i was listening to it or hearing about it and essentially this isn't even like a fully fledged like game game yeah so yeah uh, i don't yeah you know what i was gonna like sit and just like kind of trash on this thing good on him for being able to thrive in this world he you know he he saw nfts people are pretty um pretty on nfts right now and he decided to capitalize that the industry itself is capitalizing on nfts in a way that don't know if it's going to be successful. Like Ubisoft is the, I think Ubisoft is the forefront of doing this with their courts system or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, just just to get back, NFC solved the digital marketplace issue that video games have always had. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where like, ah, this it feels bad. Kind of reminds me of Star Citizen, where that that game was in early access for a very long time, yet it had a store where people were just throwing money at it and they made a shit ton of money. And it's kind of like, <laughs> this isn't even like a fully, like this game could essentially fail, but people are still just wasting their money in this game. But yeah, that's that's that. I don't really have too much to say about that other than... Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how, we'll see where these NFTs go because there's other NFT news that wasn't in here, like Stalker was going to have NFTs in their game mm-hmm. and players pushed back. While Ubisoft wants to move forward with NFTs in their games, like uh, Siege and shit like that, so ah, we'll see. We'll see how they said it's just the beginning. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Fucking blockchain right. bullshit. Number five. This comes from NPD. Best-selling video games for November. For November, Jesus. November twenty twenty-one data. <laughs> so I wanted to bring this into conversation because let me actually pull this up. Uh, the top 10 selling video games, retail and digital, for November 2021 was number one, Call of Duty Vanguard. Number two, Battlefield 2042. Uh, number three is Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl. Number four is Forza Horizon 5. I think, I'm just gonna, I mean, there's other games on here that's cool, but I really want to focus on Forza Horizon 5 because this game dropped in such a way that everyone was like really on it, and there was a lot of people who didn't play racers but they were still like oh this game's a good game this game's a good game the game came out free on game pass um i was educated a little bit that um it also there was like a uh early, early access, access where you could pay money for that a four day early access so you can play yeah. it four days earlier uh if you pay like between 45 and 100 dollars. right so it's amazing to me that even with early access that I guess either so many people bought it in early access or so many people just, even though they played on Game Pass, they still bought the game to the point that it is number four in the charts. 
And it kind of feels like, well, damn, maybe Game Pass is, you know, it could be successful in certain avenues. And that kind of data kind of pushed PlayStation to like, maybe we should think about like our little well, subscription yeah, thing. Get, you go first, My thing is the MPD data isn't transparent in that I don't, I don't know what separates three from four in terms of actual units sold. There's also the information that we got beforehand about the uh, amount they made on pre-order sales. And I think without more accurate data in regards to other Xbox games in reference to Game Pass, I'm not ready to say that Game Pass is the reason it sold well, because I'm saying the reason it sold well is the pre-order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like yeah. it. this is its fifth iteration. And its consumer base was fairly strong going into it. Before, right, yeah. Like, yeah, like, I mean, like, there is truth to Avery's point to which we can only process so much data to say that it was a, like, one of the best-selling games. But there were articles during the pre-order phase I was talking about. Yeah. There are hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of people that are getting this game mad early. I, I'm a yeah. huge Forza Horizon fan. Like, remember right. back in 2018, that was on my Game of the Year list near Spider-Man and all that. But I didn't fucking... Like, I was like, no, I was, I'm not right. spending $4,500 <laughs> to just play this shit four days early. I was tempted. I just waited for that shit to be on Game Pass. So, But having a game that's that successful on game pass kind of reiterates phil spencer saying like yo game pass is already sustainable like it's the games the content within itself is driving the subscriptions too like it's, it's the marriage of those two worlds the quality of the stable of games you have as um, related to subscribers themselves like this is there's force horizon within game pass essentially if that makes sense like game pass is multiple expressions and that's what's driving it yeah yeah, I, I just I found this to be very interesting, like just kind of looking at everything on the face of it. It's like, wow, this game is selling a lot, but it's also, you know, freely available to a lot of people, yet like it's still like high up on the charts. So it was cool to see. And I, you know, good good work on them. Um and I got not good work on them. Good job. Good job for them. Hey, but. Yakuza Kwame is leaving Game Pass and I am buying all that shit. I cannot be that far away <laughs> from here right now. I'm going through too much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, number six. This comes from Bing Bong. No. Uh, Bing, <laughs> Bing Bong. Bong. <laughs> um, Fuck your life. <laughs> the, um, the journalist, I'm going to call him uh, Mr. Sangupita because I I'm not going to try his first name. Gupta. Yeah. No, the first name. The first name. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to try. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, so CSGO is the least stressful first person shooter title, while Apex Legend is the most stressful one. <laughs> um, as I am surrounded by a Get third party, boy. Play Apex. <laughs> what do you guys think of this? I think uh, with CSGO is a fucking over a 10 year old game. There's nothing new in regards to what they can do for that game. I don't think there's any... Outside of building new maps, which I don't think they do often, I don't think there's any new elements that come into that game. So, mm-hmm. pretty much every fight in that game is based on your individual skill and your understanding of the game, which doesn't change. Yeah. Okay. Apex is the game, which is a battle royale with uh, 47 other... No. 57 other players other than you and your team on the field, all using 
at this point we're on 18 or 19 different legend uh, abilities and things you have to deal with and we are constantly getting new maps at a cycle of at least one one or two a year so it's like there's so also if you die in apex legends you have to go requeue they have multiple rounds in counter-strike yeah if you lost this round, you got... I don't, I don't remember how many is the best of, it's but... Best, uh, I think it's best out of 26. It's some obscene number. I know it's more than Valorant. Hmm. Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, you guys won. Damn, I'm done. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, but I mean, Apex doesn't stress me out. I mean, to me, but Drea says I'd be yelling and cussing. But I mean, okay. I, I just like cussing. You know what? Thank you for bringing that up because Shereen said the exact same thing about me and I'm like... No, like me playing Gundam is like a stress reliever. Like I'm cussing and angry, or whatever. But like I'm not <laughs> I'm having I'm fun. Not, yeah, exactly. I'm not like stressed out over I, it. I'm, but it's I'm just the, like I'm the exact opposite. Apex is just stress to me. Oh really? <laughs> it's pain. Because <laughs> my, my 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 issue with Apex is that I think I am from a game sense standpoint better than I am mechanically. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those situations where like I have a clip from a game that me and Sean played recently where like. I can IGL group to game win easy, but I don't have the mechanics. What, what does IGL mean? In game lead, like if I can read the zone, I can tell you where the game is going to end. I can tell you what position is probably the best to hold, oh. and I can, for the most part, get a team to that end game. So when me and Sean are playing and I don't troll, we can usually get to an end game because I'm like I, I know where we can go. But then there are situations like I was playing Bloodhound and I decided, oh, the last two teams are fighting and we have zone. I don't know. I'm just fucking rush into that team and get some kills. (laughs) Just forgetting the fact I'm not mechanically the best bloodhound in the world. And so... Shoot me! Shoot me! Sean dies. I I get knocked. And it's just our fucking uh, teammate not coming Gibraltar in the corner just trying to survive. And I'm like, oh, this is my fault. We lost this. And then somehow I get rezzed. And then in... I need to analyze the tape to see what the fuck happened. Yeah, but it was like it, it was like a I my teammates at ten health and I'm fucking bloodhound with an alternator. I guess I'll just one v three this team and we somehow win. <laughs> Hilarious! Hilarious! You did what needed to be done to win. Congratulations. Yeah. Apex is just stressed to me because I know too much about yeah. that game to like. Like Apex is a game where like I can definitively tell you if I died because I'm bad at the game or if I died because there was an unseen element of the game that I just didn't account for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, last up for the quick hits, number seven. This comes from GameIndustry.biz. Jeffrey, what's that last name? Because Jeffrey Atkins, Rosu. No, Rosu. Oh, okay. okay. You say Atkins? <laughs> uh, yeah. So Activision Blizzard releases 2021 represent representation data. So, um. This is interesting. Like uh, in our little Discord, we were kind of talking about this and how we don't normally see this kind of information put out to the public. But um, there is a quote in here. Okay, this comes from. I think this is from the chief operating officer, Daniel Allegri. He says, "I recognize that without being more transparent on important data, it can make it harder to keep us accountable." for progress where needed. That is not my intent, and this will change. As part of our resolve for gender transparency, we are sharing, for the first time, our current data on gender and diverse representation at ABK. So um, 
there's some numbers they threw out. There is um, women account for 24% of the workforce. Uh, meanwhile, UEG, which is unrepresented ethnic groups, make up 36 of the public. That's a new acronym. Yeah, that I had to look that up because I was like, well, what is in that category? And apparently, it's you know, it's just yeah, it's it's, a, um, it's one of those yeah, like catch all yeah. kind of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they had numbers in there. Um, what I thought was very interesting was that those numbers are for the general workforce, but in terms of the upper level management, where are those numbers? I don't care. Looking for it. Okay. Uh, Blizzard shows that women make up 26% of entry-level positions and 26% of its senior vice president or more, despite, oh, okay, despite UEGs being 40% of the company's early career roles, but only making up 15% of the executive leaders. So obviously, there is a uh, pretty big discrepancy between the workforce versus the leaders in Blizzard, at least in this example. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like that's great that you're showing this these numbers to us, but really and truly, you know, it's only going to matter if you show these numbers to us in I don't know March or June, and these numbers are very different. I mean, even then, like that's either it's creating new positions or removing people from old positions. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Turnover. Yeah, this is one of those things where, like, not in a couple months, but, like, what's the end of the year optics next year of your company Mm -hmm. in comparison to this year? Because that one will show more organic turnover than a couple months when it's just like, all right, we open. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Usually equity measures would be reviewed in a fiscal year time frame, Mm -hmm. you know, for them to take hold, whether it be changing certain hiring practices. That does take time uh, for that to like you know be ingrained for any type of discernible impact so yeah you would review these equity measures at the end of their fiscal year whichever that but this looks like they're working on a calendar year type thing so right yeah this time next year right i mean the this is a weird thing to correct a weird thing to correct what do you mean equity like the numbers having equal numbers well it's not about I mean, by the number it's, it's not it's not necessarily about equal numbers it's like to um the last thing that dj said like 40 percent of the company being of a certain demographic, but not in certain levels. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be some um, similarity. Like like e- equal is not the wrong term, mm-hmm. but it has to be proportionally similar, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Proportionally similar or outperforming. So as I can put it. Right. Right. I guess. <laughs> uh. So yeah, it's um. You know. Good on them for putting this data out, but in order for it to matter, we need to see some progress come next year. Uh, well, that is it for the quick hits, and now it is time for the... Hold up, let me make the click. Let me make the click. Heavy hitter. So, for the heavy hitter, this comes from Kotaku's uh, Isaiah Colbert. During a preview... Actually, this is Kotaku Australia. I don't know why that's important. I just decided to say that. Uh, during a preview... Uh, well, it's important about- because Kotaku's main editorial has no real say in what branch websites do. Oh, really? Mm. It's, it's like how IGN Israel put out that statement about Palestine, oh, and IGN yeah. couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, that's interesting. So, during a preview, Forspoken developers described their black... Protag? Uh, Protag's a new word, haven't Protag? Is it just prota- mm-hmm. short for protagonist? Yes. It'll work, man. Yeah. Keep going. All right. In cringe-inducing ways. 
I'm just going to read a short excerpt from the article. Uh, essentially, the um, Kotaku AU and a couple other journalists are having a interview with the developers, or mm, not developers, well, developers like writing team, just the people who make for spoken production and team, they I have believe. production. There you go. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. And so essentially during this whole thing, um, the production team kind of describes them working with the actress who is doing the voice for Frey in the game. Uh, Ella, Ella Balinska? Balinski. Is it Balinski or Balinska? Balinska. Yeah. And um, they are describing Frey's origin story, which comes off as a tired amalgamation of black stereotypes. Those stereotypes include her being very angry, uh, have her having falling through the cracks of society, and being on the verge of prison. That last one, being on the verge of prison. Okay. Um, I mean, shit, anybody is in the U.S. Yeah. Before being teleported to Athia, uh, the cherry on top of my newfound dread, this is coming from the writer of this article, was... Stashwick describing Balinska's mannerisms during her motion capture performance as having a very hip hoppy kind of walk. Uh, I'm just going to continue reading. I wasn't the only journalist to find Stashwick's awkward remark and the lack of Black Riders showing in our preview as harrowing. So the whole Black Riders thing he's talking about is the fact that in this game, the head writers are Gary Whitta, who have done a lot of Star Wars stuff, and Amy Henning, who has done uncharted game she was working at ea to make a star wars game that fell through but they're big names they're big names in the industry um they did work on the foundation of the story and then gave it off to two other writers they're both white um i don't remember their names right now but allison reimer and todd sashwick allison is responsible for an mtv show called shadow hunters and todd sashwick is an old not even old he's resp- i forgot it's a i think it's with dev the game He's responsible mm-hmm. for the narrative behind. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Um, so that's what Isaiah is referring to as the lack of black writers shown in our preview, as he's saying, as, as harrowing. Uh, when fanbite Imran Khan asked if there was any black developers or consultants involved with Forspoken in Square Enix's video chat, he didn't receive an answer during our preview. Later on, he received a FAQ sheet that rounded up our media questions. Sadly, Wait, uh, correction, uh, Sashwick is not responsible for Bethesda game. I'm sorry. He worked with Amy Henning on a Star Wars game that got canceled. That's where I remember gotcha. his name from. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. He didn't receive an answer during our preview. Later on, he received the FAQ sheet that rounded up our media questions. Sadly, its answer came off as canned responses that leaned heavily on the hands-on preview where... Balinska's passionate feedback throughout her motion capture progress was regarded as invaluable feedback for the team. Later on in this article, he mentions... Essentially, Square Enix came out with a response saying that uh, we work closely with a number of consultants from BIPOC backgrounds to help portray Frey's character and tell the story from a perspective. Square Enix said in the FAQ, adding that Forspoken's supporting cast was dominated by women and several women of color. So that's kind of the backstory to this whole thing. And the conversation that we had in the chat started with me saying how essentially it is, you know, white people creating this black character. Well, that's, that's, no, that's, that's not, what not started how it started. <laughs> you were specifically talking about... 
because one of the things that we didn't talk about in the chat was anything in this article. You specifically only brought up the fact that there was white people in the writer's room and not the actual contents of this article. Well, yes, this article came out after the conversation because this article is... Well, no, uh, this article, the, the meat of this article, because there were like five or ten different articles just like this one, all came out before we had that conversation. No, well, my whole thing was coming from the video that I posted. Yes. Where it is, I believe it is this person talking about their experience. I think it was from Kotaku. It might have been, I don't know. Anyways, my whole thoughts was coming from the video that I watched. And I posted that video and then I had my mm. thought of white writers creating a black woman, essentially. And we kind of just... Here you go. You said, uh, in the fantasy world, the phrase dropped in. She's looked as other called demon because she could travel in the evil fog or whatever to turn people into monsters. And he said, if they don't address what that means for a black woman, I'm going to be upset. Yes. That's not the exact first thing I said. But yes, I also said that as well. I posted many times the exact same thing that I said. Mm. But um, yeah, like I think it's, it's one of those things where if you are creating a character of color and you of not a person of color. Nothing. Keep on. Depending, okay, of course, depending on what kind of story you're trying to create, I, I think they did a good job of saying that they got um, BIPOC consultation. Yeah, I think that's, that's okay in terms of at least they're trying to do something to fill in those gaps of the fact mm -hmm. that this, this is a person. Like, the fact that they mention in the video that I watched that, like, like as this article was talking about how she's like, on the verge of or uh what falling through the cracks of society and all that stuff like yeah. they're trying to ground this character in a way that i think could be good but i am overall skeptical for the fact that the writer's room was white and it's one of those things where it's just like i don't want frey to be essentially a caricature Versus being a real character, essentially. Yeah. And this is where I get annoyed with you. And this is where most of my ire in our conversations happen with. DJ used the word authentic to describe real character. And I have a giant issue with that. In that authenticity, with air quotes, what does that mean? To DJ's definition, authenticity means a person sharing the background in which the character they are writing with. And I'm like, okay, cool. That only makes writing the character, quote unquote, easier if you share a background with that character. But that doesn't necessarily make that resulting character good. To that point, when you start talking about authenticity, if you want authenticity, the person writing this character should be a black woman. No other black person. And in fact, to drill further down, it would have to be a black woman involved in some sort of weird fantasy event to get authenticity. I don't... I, I think I think you you take that put the word authenticity too literal i think so yeah because well, I, i'm only taking it in the spirit in which you ascribed it in our conversation presented it yeah but i think i think in this situation you are taking what i said and jumping a step further no i'm not i'm not jumping i'm taking the logical conclusion of what you said jumping would have been me saying what that last thing i said but I started with, okay, the authentic person you would talk about is a black woman. But in our conversations, you didn't specifically say you wanted a black woman. You just said you wanted black people. Black people in the room, which is fair. Yeah. I can agree with that. Yeah. But that isn't authentic. I'm still I using think, air quotes. 
again, I think you might be taking things a little too literally because when I did say that I wanted black people in the writing room, I mean in general, because this is a situation where we see this a lot. We see this happen very often. And oftentimes we just kind of ignore and shrug, but this is just the situation that it's in a news article and it's something that we can actually talk about. Well, okay, so mm. before we go any further, I want to point out that the point that we eventually got through in all these conversations was we wanted more black people in the writer's rooms, period. Mm -hmm. Which is something I want as someone who is a creative themselves. It would help my life considerably if there were more opportunities for black people involved in all things. But a lot of our conversation became about the inherent wrongs and rights of writing and where I don't have a profound issue with the writing team behind Forspoken, especially with the amount of data I have on this writing team and what this game is, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's me taking it with the absolute nuance of the situation that it is. Because the unnuanced take is that these people wanted to create a game with a black protagonist. They didn't hire- White people wrote another black character, goddammit. A, a ghetto black this character. Japanese creative team wanted to create a game with a black protagonist, didn't hire black people to write it, hired white people, and then they moved forward from there, which I think is the most unnuanced take of the situation that could be presented. Mm -hmm. And what I think realistically happened is that a Japanese team wanted to make a Western-style game, reached out to two high-profile Western writers, Gary Whitta and Amy Henning. Those two writers went to work on building this world, building its characters, and doing all that, and decided during their writing that, hey, we don't necessarily have to have a white character to tell this story. And mm -hmm. from what they've also said, Frey's ethnicity was determined when they hired Ella. Mm. So that's where they went from there. In like Ella, Ella, Ella both voice acting and, and, and motion, cap cap motion capture. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they went from there. Mm. Which if they had started this game with a black protagonist and they didn't hire black writers, I would have been on DJ side and super annoyed and super uh, nonplussed. Yeah, not nonplussed. I would be in arms about this game and its production. But I think because another thing we need to talk about is that the only reason these articles are a thing is because of the one pool line that everyone is pulling from the hip hoppy way. Because we've known the right, <laughs> which we've known isn't even necessarily negative. Well. <laughs> I know what Sean's talking about. It's, it's like, how do you describe a character? You wanted the character to be black without saying a character it is to be black. There's so many Not other actors. But if, so you have, many. if you have a limited exposure to a certain thing and the way Ella was motion capping shit. In a hip hop way. Boy, what are you from? Well, 1960? How, how old I, are they? I also have it. Like, here's the thing. This is one of my issues. I know I have the argument because DJ wasn't even talking about this until after the fact when he read this article. But that was my general takeaway from most of the Forspoken saga. This is a weird statement. I really wish there was some clarification from it. And there is some minor <laughs> clarification, but not enough to uh, uh, whet the appetites of anyone who would already annoyed by the situation going forward. But back to my original thing. Mm. I would be annoyed if they did that. But we've known about this game as Project Afia for at least two years. Yeah. There's also the fact that this game seems to be taking parts of Agnes Philosophy, which was an old Final Fantasy tech demo from like five or six years ago. So like this team has been working on an iteration of this game for a long period of time. And something I've observed in video games over the years is that writing tends to be secondary to all things in terms of game design. Unless specifically the game director is like an all-tour script writer, 
Like, the sec most secondary thing about games is going to be its writing. So, from what I can extrapolate from there, this is just me trying to read into the nuance of what this is. This game has been in existence for a good four or five years. We've known its writing team for at least two years. This should have been a conversation we should have been had when that initial trailer happened and she was revealed. Because we knew the details that we know now then. Yeah. Did we? Well, we didn't know we did. she was falling through the cracks, almost going to prison, did we? I don't think we knew her backstory, though. We just saw the trailer. We, we saw the trailer. I don't, I don't think it was mean, announced he, to the writer. DJ means we knew she was black back then. Yeah, we, we knew she was black. We knew the voice actress, but we didn't know anything else about the overall story. It's just at this well, point. We, we knew what they presented to us in those trailers. Mm -hmm. That kind of street hood type. I mean, hood isn't like literally like wearing a hood. I didn't think yeah, that, though. But for the most part, most of the stuff <laughs> they talked about in her backstory is far outside of the explicit prison talk. It's stuff that you can extrapolate from those trailers. She came from the streets. Low on the rough side of things. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. But we also didn't have any information on the writing team. We did. We've been time. on the writing team. We knew it was Gary Whitta and Amy Henning? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've done that for a while ago. All of these things could be applied to any race. I think we're... Uh being hyper aware hypersensitive that she just happens to be black yes all those things could happen to any race but i mean we do live in a place where you know it, it happens to black people are demographically yeah false incarceration more. and all that shit yeah i i think for me like yes avery like you do have you do have some points that I agree with in terms of like, if we knew this information before, I just, I would have said some shit before. That's because they hid it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta read. But like, I think DJ was being authentic. I was, I was, <laughs> but like, I think for me, like when it comes down to it and, and another point that I brought up in terms of the writing room being black or, in this case, the writing room being black, but overall, I just mean more like people of color, like being able to have those opportunities to join the conversation when they are creating characters of color is that we, we, we literally just talked about in the quick hits how there needs to be more representation in the studios to allow that to happen. Where it Well, this is incredibly complex, not complex, it's a moot point kind of a situation because uh, Luminous Productions is a Japanese studio. I mean, but they hired Western writers, though. How many black people are? <laughs> like, they, write, they hired four Western writers out of a studio of over the people who are actually making the game. Like, like the conversation that we're talking about is the writing team, which is yes. a different conversation altogether. And I think in the most part is a minor thing of most games. I don't, I don't agree with that statement anymore. I mean, I think maybe before, before Last of Us, maybe? Well, no, because here's the thing. There are two types of writers in games. There's a person who's writing the game script and the lore and then there's not even this lore it's Mer then there's oh. the people who are this their job to actually do the writing in the game so everything that you read in the game that requires yeah. text those are people who do that and in a game right. like this where as far as i can tell in its development its writing team or essentially the people who are writing the script are these two white writers and these two people mm -hmm. who did the majority of the uh, lore work beforehand, and everything else is going to be handled by Japanese people. Mm. Yes, because it's going back to the actual Japanese team. Yes. Yes. Which, yeah, I mean, that part is fine. Again, all I'm saying is that I want to see more people of color 
in the room and this is a situation where instead of doing that they outsourced that part of it to this consulting group which hey you know props to square enix for doing that because at least they took steps to make sure that ella or not ella that uh freya was i don't know a a possibly a better character because we also don't know exactly what this character can turn out like this game can come out and it can bomb and, and ella could just not be a great character what i'm hearing though is that uh the race of the character was damn near one of the last things implemented into the game because the script and all that was written already but I mean, without full transparency of the exactly. writing process, I can't tell you when exactly the character became a black woman beyond the we've cast a black woman as this character. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, I get what DJ is saying. We need more black representation, more writers, more people behind the scenes. This also goes back to my point. Many, many culture casts ago. How many black people are applying for these positions? I mean, that's, that's actually a well, good point, it, it, too. It, in terms of hiring, it's also exposure to like that's what many of these companies are trying to rectify is mm-hmm. how are they soliciting these positions? Are they tapping into like writing networks that are predominantly black, which do exist? Like are they soliciting these positions to underserved and protected communities? Which more often than not isn't happening. They're kinda of going yeah. through the same pool, a network of, you know, writers that already have access. Even still what I was getting at originally at the beginning of this cast is we're still a minority in terms of numbers. If you market the position to, you know, however many, everybody's eligible to apply. 10 white people apply and five black people apply because that's, I don't, I don't know the proportion, the percentage, you know, whatever that we are compared to the rest of the world. We're still going to be outnumbered even if they hired everybody who applied. Right, right. I mean, like, there, there still needs to be some intentionality to it. And that's the problem. Like, these, many of these companies have been doing the same workflows over and over and over again, mm. w- which led us to this point where you do have majority white rooms. I'm not trying yeah. to say them changing their hiring practices is going to immediately take effect, but it's all about the intentionality mm-hmm. no, behind it. because it's not because another thing that has to be recognized that with games that we kind of don't really talk about is that one of the core reasons they went to Gary Whitta and Amy Henning for the initial story creation of this is because this is their brand new AAA IP. They don't want to fail. They didn't want to take a chance. They wanted to find two writers with pedigree ped- pedigree, and the clout to just by their mentioned name, people be like, oh, it's not. I'm interested in this game before without even hearing or seeing anything of it. Yeah. Because that was when I heard that, like, and I'm not someone who's the biggest Gary Witta fan, but I do like his work. But when I heard that Gary was writing this game, like, around at least a year ago, I was like, oh, this is this game has gotten even more interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Like, when I did find out that it was Gary Wood and Amy Henning, it was just like, oh, shit, like, that's awesome to see these two people team up to create a game and to see that it was a black person. It was like, oh, wow, that's even doper. But, like, it was one of those things where I had my own hangups and I kind of put that to the side just to celebrate the fact that this game is coming out and this game like looks good and appeals to me and the magic system looks like dragon's dogma and i was so excited for this game but then like having (laughs) to really think about it and just be like okay well although this is great but we're making strides we are Um, we are we are the the other point i think i made was just uh how many black creatives are applying to be a writer on a video game they don't see it as a serious medium yet granted it's a billion dollar industry is still maturing. To Sean's point right there, in regards to writing, 
unless you're a proven writer elsewhere, like they're not going to give you the head writing job. So from what I can tell, because I looked at Neil Druckmann's like career to where he got from, like I was a minor programmer at Naughty Dog to now I am the president, vice president, and the creative director of all their games. And like it's a like a long list of video game positions till he got to that point. Yeah. So we may have somebody in the works. Possibly. Well, yeah. But it's it's also one of those things where when it comes to the hiring process, a lot of that stuff happens inside the studio. So oftentimes, like, yeah, there might be a writing position available, but there might be a, I don't know, the assistant, uh, whatever writer. And that person's like, yeah, I'm going to apply for this position, of course. And that position doesn't even see the light of day because they already have someone to fill this position. I mean... People always want companies to hire from within and stop bringing people yeah. from the outside. So, it, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a complex thing and it's going to take a while it's a very to thing. get to where you want it to be. Yeah. I think uh, my perspective on this entire matter is I am of the mindset that nothing is ever promised. If I want to see more black creators in the space in on these jobs, I kind of don't give a shit about it on a triple A level. I'm kind of more interested mm-hmm. in those black creatives taking the indie space and taking those spaces and making those games and then growing from there. Because for me, this is not me even talking subjective creative stuff. This is me, Avery Williams, my own personal take. Is that like, I don't give a shit if a black person wrote the next Call of Duty game. It'd be cool though. Oh, it it will be cool. It's a a great (laughs) thing to put on the level, but like that game is never going to be the focus. No one's ever going to really care about the writing of a Call of Duty game. But like, I mean, I, I think. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. How do you incorporate blackness into a war game? Wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me, let me so jump in real quick because <laughs> let, me, I, let me actually finish I, my thought first. Let me finish my thought first. Uh, how how long's your thought? <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, let The focus of the Call of Duty game is never going to be its story. Those are great bullet points, and it's going to be great uh, moments of celebration for people who look like us. Like, hey, we, I'm the black face of the creative team of this game. But the actual player base is never going to see or care about any of those elements. That being said, every time an indie game comes out, and it's oh, this is a team of one or two people working on this game. And, and like those are the faces that you see and those are the faces that grow from there like if you pay attention to the triple i indie space all of those creators have names all of those creators have become something in gaming space while still remaining in the triple i space if that makes sense and for me they are more inspirational to get more people into the scene than the person writing the call of duty game okay so i i got two things the first thing is that when you say that like you know no one's gonna be into call of duty for the story like that's only true until it happens like look at god of war god of war was just a mindless hack and slash that like was about aggro male power until god of war 2018 came out and was just like oh my god like kratos is a like a great character and that was never really something that was absolute unit <laughs> that that was <laughs> but the, there's a difference between call of duty and god of war god of war yeah, is a single player absolutely. god of war is a single player experience where like if you may not give a shit about the old school god of war story i didn't give a shit about the kratos i think the old school god of war story are fantastic greek mythology stories they just happen to have an awful protagonist but the difference between <laughs> call of duty is dj how many call of duty games have we played like most of them well modern warfare had a, had a, had a stronger story exactly. in the last decade than, yeah. uh, than most yeah. of them but 
when you think about your Call of Duty experiences, are you thinking about your experiences playing with the multiplayer? Or are you thinking of their, oh man, this point of the story really got me emotionally? It's both for me. Like, I still remember the whole nuke scene from uh, Call of Duty. Modern Warfare. I, I was just yeah, watching that, something about that. that but I mean, I, I get what Avery's saying. No, I, yeah, the thing I, is, like, I, I get what Avery's saying, yeah. saying also. Like, like structurally, Call of Duty, like, I, I usually play those just for the story, but not because the story's good. Because, like, just it's just something, just it's, it's, a, it's a Michael Bay type experience. Yeah. But Avery, too, to DJ's point, he's saying, like, when Call of Duty, if, if they ever, could be five years or ten years from now, if they have that one time mm-hmm. when they fucking pull a Jack Ryan. And have an actual good <laughs> military story, then you know it'd be cool to have a black person. To that point, what I'm trying to uh, illustrate with that point is that that moment kind of happened. It was Vanguard. Really? Where they Vanguard. took a the last I, Call I, of Duty. I didn't hear too many good things about oh. that. because no one was talking about Vanguards because of all the stuff going around Call of Duty. That's not just the Activision and going around. They, said, they, stuff, they but said the, the actual... story was good in, in Vanguard because I, I haven't heard that so far. Well, here's the thing to illustrate my point. The creative team for the story of Vanguard has been very vocal about all the work they've been putting in to the story of that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no one's really talking about that conversation because of other aspects. But, yeah, I, don't I, think it's, I, but think... I don't think it's just the activism stuff. I think it's the quality of the Vanguard experience outside of the story. I, I think the other side to it is that it's World War II. And currently, in terms of we and the, the Call of Duty first-person shooter market or whatever is tired of, of World War II stuff. So... Mm-hmm. That's not here or there. Vanguard, like, starting up, people were just, like, down on it already. So even if it turned out to be good, there just wasn't a lot of press on top of the Activision being shitty stuff. So it's... They were just not in a good place. I, I think if a story is good, regardless of its, uh, where it's taking place, it's good. I mean... Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm just talking about the press in terms of not having a lot of people. The general consensus on, on the community. Yeah, because like even if it's good, the people are going to trash it because. Well, like, like I said, the difference between the press and the actual player base is the press is obsessed with the Activision stuff because that is their purview and that is actually yeah. the most interesting stuff in regards to Activision. The casual community about that game does not care about that. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I can see that. So I, I, I'm, I'm confused. Are you saying that the... Because we, look, we just saw the NPD sales for that game, and it's still the best-selling game of one. November. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that part. But I'm just confused in terms of, are you saying that the casual community is saying that that story is not good, or are they saying that the story is good? It is good. I think, from the critical response I've heard about the game, I think the story is good. I haven't heard that. I, 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 I saw some yeah. pretty in-depth reviews that are like, what the fuck is going on? Um, that's the reviews yeah. I've seen with that. I mean, I'm not trying to say it's bad, but yeah, I think people like Modern Warfare more than Vanguard. Eh. Well, that's not even yeah. over there. I still stand by that I'm more interested in seeing the homegrown black experiences mm-hmm. created from there than I am seeing this thousand person studio has hired this black person to be the face of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, just to wrap this up, is that in a way I agree with seeing black people. Uh, more so expanded in the indie space. The only problem that I have with that is that I have not really an aversion. I just it's it's you don't it's, like indie games like that. It's really hard pressed for me to like get into indie games, mainly because 
there's always something where it's just like, damn, I wish they had more of a budget for this. Or like, man, no. I wish they had more time to like flush this part out. Like, and, and you don't want to play no baby boo boo ass games. No, no, do not bring Cam's <laughs> belief system into this podcast. But like, and the thing is, like, when I think of indie games, I think of, I don't remember the name, but it was that, uh, that side scroller running game that was Aerial the, Knights. Yes, yes. And like, that was really cool. And that was something that was just like, oh, man, this looks so cool. I played it for five minutes. Well, when I, when I like, think of black grown video games, I think of that game because I think that creative yeah. story is fantastic in that he said, everyone's going to fucking know my name. So I'm going to call the game Ariel Knight blank. This is the actual name of the game. Right. And I think that's really cool. And I get to a certain point. I'm kind of like you when it comes to indie games. And that's less to do with like more mechanical stuff because I'm more forgiving of that than you are. I just mm-hmm. more, I don't like 8-bit, like this is an S- NES like throwback kind of nostalgia thing. Like if I want you to- That's another thing for me too. Go ahead. I want you to leverage the age that we in and create a really good art style to overcome what might be like limitations to your graphical style. Like I, I get you that. But for me, it's one of those things where like at the top 10 scale, it's going to take a long time to get to those products that you want. Well, at the indie scale, all it requires is the people having the wherewithal to make those games, which I'm infinitely more interested in than that. Because like, like I said, Call of Duty has to uh, appeal to a wide demographic. It has to sell all over the place. Mm. They're never going to truly go culturally specific. Like to the point where like, this is a diss on Vanguard, Vanguard has to, from a creative standpoint, that I observed about this, the protagonist of Vanguard is a black dude. Mm -hmm. But he's a black dude who's anachronistic to what the actual time period in which the story is being taken place in. Right. Yes. (laughs) Um, Overall, just to reiterate my point, and I think we all are in agreement to this, we want to see more black people in spaces where they are able to create. Not me. So now go ahead. <laughs> Except for Sean. <laughs> Sean only wants to see Jamaican people in spaces <laughs> so they can create. <laughs> Bullet. Um, with that being said, uh, I think we can uh, pull this bad boy in, as uh, some people will say. Um, We're sorry, Marcus. <laughs> Marcus, for you, I will do this in a hip hoppy way. Um, well, that has been our cast, y'all. Bang, bang. Uh, this I'm has been this. I'm, another... I'm, I'm leaving this call. I'm leaving this call. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another episode of Press X Star Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making this episode. Yo. In case you missed A's, you can find all details and more on the website at pressx2start.com. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And make sure you hit that notification bell. Because when you do those three things, you a G. Uh, all right, uh, you guys, you gals, you uh, you peoples, you be safe, you enjoy the holidays, and you have a great time with your family, your friends, your game consoles, and you make sure you uh, stick here and you you watch some more stuff that we do because that's the thing that you should do. We're going to have a video out in between the Christmas and uh, New Year's break, so you check that out. But uh, take care. Wash your hands and be safe. Hey. I'm going to go watch The Witcher.